Welcome back, Intimates. Thanks for your support on Patreon, making this 2021 season possible. This podcast is about all things intimate, relationships, love, connection, community, consensual non-monogamy, kink, orgies, lovers, and of course, good old-fashioned sex. I talk with old friends and even meet some new ones. I interview people from all walks of life, from recovered addicts to counselors, sex partners to perfect strangers. I'd like to thank my hosts, the Musqueam First Nation, as this podcast is recorded on their unceded ancestral territory, where I was born, where I work, and where I currently live and play. So settle in for an intimate conversation. Today, medical doctor Alexandra Stockwell talks about compromise and how it impacts intimacy and passion. Over her lengthy marriage and raising four children, she's learned a lot about intimacy. Today we're going to talk about what compromises do and why sometimes compromises aren't the best solution. Please see the show notes for a link to the Assertiveness Workbook by Dr. Randy J. Patterson. And you can also see https colon forward slash forward slash alexandrastockwell.com forward slash desires for her courses or forward slash podcast for her podcast. Oh, also content warning. Um, Roe versus Wade is going to briefly come up, um, specifically the repealing of it. Oh, also content warning. We're going to briefly talk about reversing Roe versus Wade. Um, and it's also going to be a fairly monogamous language episode. So expect poss- possessive language like his woman or her man. Welcome everyone to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm joined by Dr. Alexandra Stockwell, a medical doctor, wife of 26 years, a mother of four, and now an intimacy and relationship coach focusing on married couples who want to build beautiful, lifelong, passionate relationships. Welcome, Dr. Stockwell. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So I'm really excited today to talk about compromise. You mentioned that sometimes compromise isn't the best approach or that it doesn't always work. And I'm really curious to hear more about that. Yeah, well, throughout the world, really, certainly in Western societies, the most common relationship advice that is given is that you have to learn to compromise. You have to be good at compromise. If you want a great marriage, compromise is the name of the game. And this is what we're taught, this is what is modeled, and it just isn't true. Mm-hmm. If you want a bland, pleasant companionship, <laughs> compromise is awesome, it will definitely deliver that. But if you want a juicy, passionate, growth-oriented, evolving, dynamic, intimate marriage, then uncompromising intimacy is the way to get that. But when I talk about this, it's very important that I define uncompromising because the way that people often use the word is it means you always get your own way, you make no exceptions, and you kind of are a bully. And I don't mean it that way at all. Where compromise means that you withhold your desires, your thoughts, your feelings, whatever is happening internally, you withhold that so that your partner will be more comfortable. That's the definition of compromise Mm. in relationships. Being uncompromising in the context of relationships means that you learn to bring all of who you are, thoughts, feelings, desires, challenges, dreams, You learn to bring all of that to the relationship in such a way that your partner can hear it and, of course, invite your partner to do the same. So uncompromising in this sense 
is really the way to create the most exquisite, ever-expanding intimacy. Mm. I What I'm hearing, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is something I'm actually working on right now with the Assertiveness Workbook, um, which is this idea of, of being there, of showing up as you are and voicing what you're feeling and what you'd like. And instead of expecting that everyone should cater to what you want, you're simply stating who you are, how you're feeling, where you are, and your partner is hearing that information. What you do with that information is a totally separate thing. Is that right? Completely. And I love how you've expressed that. And I can absolutely see how an assertiveness workbook would would do that because there's so many both big and small places that people are used to compromising and it gets to the point where their partner just really doesn't know what they want. An example I often use is if your partner loves Italian food. And so you like Italian food, fine. So the two of you, or maybe even the kids love Italian food too. So the family goes out for Italian Mm -hmm. on a regular basis, but you really love Thai food. And because everybody (laughs) else loves Italian and you can enjoy that, you haven't said it for years. This is a totally plausible scenario. And so in such a situation, I encourage, let's say, a woman to say, you know, I've, I've been yearning for Thai food. And all kinds of things can happen with that. One outcome definitely is that her partner is just like receives that and understands how she's been having Italian food for them. I mean, going for Italian in a way that is intended to be good for the relationship. Like she can feel seen and appreciated for the generous gift she's giving, which wasn't even seen before. Or maybe Mm -hmm. they get takeout and eat in a park, or maybe it turns out that the partner actually has one dish that they like. And as long as the Thai restaurant they go to has that dish, the partner's going to be fine. Like Mm -hmm. once, once the truth is on the table, then all kinds of creative solutions can emerge, which just never come up if you don't actually say so. Hmm. It sounds like what you're describing is how passivity is the thing that is sometimes socialized, especially into girls and women, and that in partnerships that are getting bland or are at risk of being very mundane or lacking in that sort of like spice or like energy of life, that that this passivity can really throw up a huge roadblock. Is that is that more what you're what you're talking about? Yes. That is what I'm talking about, and I guess there are two things I want to expand on. One is that passivity, like nobody wants to be described as passive. So there is a way in which in some situations passivity is definitely the right word, and in others, I really think of it more as disconnecting from self. Mm. which is the more, like, is the deeper move here. Because passivity just kind of, to me, sounds sort of pathetic. You know, like, why can't we just make Mm. it happen? But it's not that simple. The passivity or compromise 
is an expression of disconnection from self because it's not that every time a woman goes for Italian food and wants Thai, she's very clear that she's making this sacrifice. No, it's that mm. the more we go for Italian food, and I mean that literally, but I also mean it and you know, as a metaphor, that could mean sense, yeah. you know, agreeing to cook or live in the suburbs or like it, it can mean lots sure. of different things or or also in terms of sex but certain certain types of sex yeah sure. yeah so but anyway just using that literally and metaphorically the thing that happens when we go for italian food which is okay it's not painful to eat italian food then <laughs> um we lose touch with what we actually want. It's not that every time we're going for Italian food, we're thinking about the Thai food. It's that right. it just gets buried. And I think in general, three-year-olds are pretty in touch with what they want. But by the time <laughs> someone is doing well in school in first and second grade, they've already learned to turn away from some of their desires, which honestly, that's not all bad. I'm I'm not a fan of general anarchy, free for all, no sure. structure in society. That's not me. But I think there are things that really work and function in professional contexts, in a lot of different societal contexts that just do not work if what you want is to experience passion over decades mm. yeah yeah it's interesting because i i hear you teasing apart this idea of this individualistic ethic on one hand but also a collectivist ethic that there is a lot of importance in a family and especially with kids you don't always get to have what you want um which is something you're both modeling and hopefully teaching kids and it's really interesting how that plays into this idea of not just like you said, sacrifice or choosing not to advocate for a specific thing you want, but going much deeper than that, that having this experience over and over again, especially can just lead to this disconnection from what does spark passion in you. Yes, exactly. So that was the one thing I wanted to say when you did such a beautiful recap earlier. And the other thing that I wanted to say is yes, this absolutely is a widespread like it's an epidemic that touches pretty much everyone when it comes to women and girls but mm. this is very very relevant for men too and yes. I think it looks very different and our society doesn't I mean, I don't know how much attention it has on the ways that women compromise and are martyred. And honestly, mm. being in the United States, as we record this on June 26th, like, uh, there, there's a lot to say about how it plays oh, out for women in our society, you know, our, our uh, American I'm, I'm society. Yes, I, I know you know what I'm referring to, but um, you and, can also mention it if you'd like to talk about it. You're welcome to talk about it. Okay, well, I, I mostly, 
I, I don't really want to get into reversing Roe v. Wade um, as a topic, but sure. more as a phenomenon, like like sure. the, the what it represents. So, in other mm. words, given that, yes, there is a way in which women uh, are are um, conditioned, and now it's codified in law that we don't honor our desires and our preferences and our needs. So mm. that is true. And let me actually, I will just say this, that this is not about um, the, the like choice, should I get an abortion or not? Or do I want to have a child or not? Like that is all very relevant. But as a physician, I'm also talking about the fact that there is a lot of very, very important medical care, which overnight became illegal. And so mm. things like uh, a woman who, let's say she's 15 weeks pregnant and the placenta has separated from the uterus, which means she's bleeding, but the baby's heart, well, it's not a baby. I, I, let me speak more precisely. Embryo, yes, fetus, exactly sure. right. The, the, well, it's not a fetus at 15 weeks, but anyway, yeah, that they okay. are, sorry, it's not an embryo at 15 weeks. It's yeah, a fetus. It's a, it's a yes, fetus. That yes. makes sense. Okay. Sorry. So anyway, that it is, um, the heart is beating and therefore, even though there's no question that because the placenta has separated from the uterus and if surgical intervention doesn't happen, bleeding will continue and that will be a dead fetus. There's no question, this is not a situation in which a fetus can survive. And the right. only question is with intervention, whether or not the mother can survive, but doctors are not allowed to actually medically help the, help the mother to the extent that she requires because the heart mm. is beating. So like there's just so much about this which is not understood and what i really want to say is even though unquestionably a woman's voice with herself and with her body and with so much that impacts intimate relationships that she learns to be disconnected and that is codified in law now that mm -hmm. It's not actually that much better for men in the context of intimate relationships, but I really want to explain that. So I'm not talking about um, men who are bullies, who are, who are outrageous narcissists, okay? I'm just not addressing that right now. But sure? the majority of men are good, caring men, and I'll just use the example of a heteronormative relationship, he, he wants to be a provider, he wants his woman to be happy, and he often doesn't actually know what his desires are when it comes to emotions, when it comes to vulnerable needs and expressing them. I think um, 
particularly for those of us in relationships where it's there's a strong woman and a strong partner who's a man in in society they both look strong but for a high achieving woman who's with a good man very often he is going to be profoundly disconnected from his desires too because men are well as boys basically conditioned that anger is the only emotion they should have and mm-hmm. for a man like good men are typically profoundly afraid of their anger they don't want it to overpower them and cause them to destroy things that they want to actually be nurturing and so mm-hmm. when anger's mostly off the table and no other emotions have really been permitted that makes for a disconnected internal emotional for sure. life for men so 100% yeah i thought you might agree you have more experience about how this works than I do from the inside, but I think that um, when I'm coaching couples and they're both devoted to the relationship and they're both good people who are mm-hmm. kind, learning to honor desires and stop compromising is a different journey for each individual in the relationship, but yeah. there's no individual in a good, healthy relationship who just is like, oh, no, no, I'm all set. I I assert myself using your language, and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I No, I, I completely agree in the sense that men really don't have the same toolkit in terms of emotions. We just don't have the socialization to practice the emotions that we have as human beings, and we don't have the social permission to even start practicing in intimate relationships, it's probably the only venue where men get permission to express any feelings other than anger, really. Um, if we're talking about heteronormative society anyways. Yes, um, exactly. And even, yeah, and, and even in that venue where you're in this intimate relationship, there are a lot of expectations that you know women will just pick up the slack. They'll do all the emotional labor for you. And I think in the situation you're talking about, which is a really interesting and often missed conversation in heteronormative society, which is like, you know, what happens when the woman is the breadwinner and when the woman is the professional in the relationship or possibly the only professional in the relationship? You know, what does a supporting house husband look like and how do house husbands keep themselves it's, it's a very odd conversation for me, so you'll have to excuse me. I'm very not uh, used to going to a heteronormative frame. But how, how would a stay-at-home husband of any kind um, manage that? Like, how do you manage your feelings if, you know, just like typical domestic partners who are primarily performing a domestic support role, how do you look at getting what you want while providing what you want to provide? Yes, exactly. And... That is actually a situation that I'm um, I'm not personally living, but I'm very familiar with. There are a large number of women physicians married to men who are stay-at-home dads. However, mm-hmm. the it this doesn't only apply with house husbands, stay-at-home dads. Like this also sure. applies um, with you know when they're both successful professionals. Mm-hmm. How do, how does this play out in whatever frame of reference you live in? Mm-hmm. 
are you asking me directly or yes, are you asking it as a rhetorical question? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you're, sorry. So just to reiterate the question, you're asking in my personal lived experience how um, – could, sorry, could you repeat the question? Well, I'm responding to you saying that you're unfamiliar with how this would – you don't think about it and don't have a frame sure. of reference for a heteronormative context where the Got woman it. is the – powerhouse let's just say and so sure. i'm just asking oh well based on your lived experience how do you think about men being more expressive and finding access to more emotional range yeah um as thank you um as a as a very important thing um i identify as non-binary not as a man so for me my experience in relationships is well, it has a much wider range, I think, of emotional availability and expressivity, perhaps, than than I have heard described typical cis men have. But they're they're like my experience is also just like a really unique experience in the sense that everyone every human being's experience is unique, but also in that I don't have a lot of social maps for what my relationship should look like. Um, identifying as non-binary, it changes the dating pool that's even interested in dating me. So the types of individuals I end up dating, um, I'm sort of working through exactly what my orientation is. Right now, I identify more as queer, um, and that sort of includes everybody that I like, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting situation to look at what emotional labor in relationships looks like, because I try and meet people halfway, and I am in the process of examining how to get to a more, to get to a a larger sense of equanimity in relationships. When I've been just to focus more on what you were originally asking and saying, like you were talking, I think more in the context of asking for what you wanted and in the context of domestic um, partnership. And when I've been in domestic partnership, I've very much tried to make it as, as symmetrical and even as possible, which of course it's never totally possible. I've also never really been a stay-at-home partner. I've usually worked, and my partner has usually worked. So I guess I'm just looking at it from a really different um, frame of reference. Yeah. Oh, and I'm also not monogamous. Yeah, well, I um, I love fleshing all of that out. And I am a cis woman married to a cis man, and we've been married for 26 years, and in the course of our marriage, we've had a pretty short time when I was working full-time and he wasn't working at all, and Mm. we've had times where we were basically both working uh, 50%, and then the majority of our time has been my husband working very full-time as a physician, and Mm. I have been certainly not focused on revenue i i'm in my i've just finished my 14th year of homeschooling and so that was a very large focus for a good number of years and then the past few years i have really grown my business and am serving thousands of couples and my husband works He's he's chief of a in the he's a 
physician chief in the region, but he works three days a week, and I work three days a week, and then we have one day when we're both off. And so part of that comes from being really oriented to what would serve our family of four children best. Mm. And it also has to do with navigating different roles with one another. And I just feel like whatever dynamic we're in, whatever arrangement we're in at any given time, it really has benefited from having the various other ways of organizing our life as well. There's just more understanding and more clarity about what the issues are. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today about why compromise doesn't always work. I look forward to doing another one with you soon. Wonderful. Thank you. So how did you like it, Intimates? Discuss your ideas with the community at facebook.com forward slash Intimate Victor or tweet me at Intimate Victor or follow my Instagram, you guessed it, at Intimate Victor. If you can spare the cost of coffee to help the show keep going, head to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. We hugely appreciate your help to continue making intimate conversations for you and yours. If not, you can always help other intimacy nerds find the podcast by leaving us a review anywhere online, especially iTunes. Or you can just tell a friend. The opening music is on hold for you, made of algorithmically generated notes and chords, and played by an AI-rendered saxophonist. The closing music is Gymnopédie, number one, by Eric Satie. Both are provided royalty-free, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Thanks so much for your time, and may your most important relationships be filled with the intimate, rich interactions you crave. Be well. <laughs>